Welcome back to the Field Goals Podcast, everyone. I am Dan Viennes. I am joined by my co-host, Dana O'Gorman. It is the morning after. Seahawks open their season with a 17-16 win. That in and of itself doesn't sound too weird, right? But when you consider everything that goes into it and went into it, and geez, we've been talking about this for what seems like ages, it's not just any win. The Seahawks beat the Russell Wilson-led Denver Broncos at Lumen Field 17-16 to open the season. Dana, how are you? Have you recovered yet? Did you get any sleep last <laughs> night? I did not get much sleep last night, just simply because... Okay. I admit this to most people. Most people know this about me. There are certain games every year that I don't watch because I get hyper anxious about them. And so I watch them on and off and have to take a break and go back and forth. This was that game for me this year. And, um, I turned around at the end of the game. My brother, who lives in Denver and is a huge Broncos fan, when oh. I were texting, it's okay. He's he's so happy that they might. <laughs> I saw the a lot of That's mixed couples at the game last night. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and I was at the end. I saw that he's like one point. And I'm like, God, we lost by one point. That's instantly what you think, right? Yeah. And turned around, the Seahawks had won, and so I was up until about one thirty last night rewatching the entire game. So it was it was so fun to watch it felt like a Seahawks game, didn't it? Like it Ugh. felt like a Seahawks, felt like a Seahawks win, you know, taking it down to the last second, but it just, the whole game just had such a Seattle feel to it. It was great. And not just a Seahawk feel, but a Pete Carroll feel. I, I mean, this was, and, and there's, look, there's fans today that probably hate the way we won that game. If that makes any sense, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of fans out there. You've heard from them that, aren't yeah. big fans of Pete Carroll and his style of football and, and blames him. There's people I know personally that blame him for Russ wanting out. And, and that's obviously one of the storylines we're going to follow over the next couple of years. It's Belichick Brady all over again, who succeeds more, who, who, who's better off after the breakup. Right. Uh, but this was exactly how Pete Carroll likes to play a football game. Well, with one small disclaimer that we'll get into, um, this is this is the Pete Carroll blueprint, right? This is exactly the way they saw this going. It is. And this is what they've been wanting to do for a while. But when you have a quarterback of Russell Wilson's caliber, you just can't really do it. Now, we saw a lot of it last year with the defense playing so well, especially toward the end of the season. And we see that carrying over and, oh, my God, Clint Hurt. I loved the way he drew everything up. That defense yeah. was aggressive. It was so fun. Um but Pete looked like he was having a good time on the sidelines. The whole team does. Now, Pete always looks happy. Let's give him that. Right. But it was just different. There was a spark. And I think it's because they knew they had a good game plan for Russ. They knew how to exploit the the weaknesses of Denver. And, and they executed it well. Were there some first game hiccups? Of course. We saw that all weekend long with every team. But this went, I think, as well or better than they could have expected. It's funny that when you talk about Pete knowing Russ, and, and we talked about that on the show last week and played that sound from him where he said that, you know, we have more information on him than anybody. And he, and he seemed excited at the time to be able to put that into use. It, it was funny as I'm watching the game unfold. On one hand, I'm thinking, man, in some ways, this is the Russell Wilson that the Seahawks fans we always wanted to see. He was getting the ball out really quick, right? He was throwing screen passes better than he's ever thrown them and we can I know, talk where'd those come from we can talk about whether that was design or whether that was him he was throwing he was he was distributing the football and the, and the offense looked efficient but 
Pete Carroll was able to take away the deep shot. There was the one ball that obviously the touchdown to Jerry Judy, that Kobe Bryant was in position, didn't quite make the play. And, and then I think it was Josh Jones that took the bad angle and missed the tackle. Um, but he really, that was the only quote unquote deep shot. He took the whole game. This year, all that talk about the let Russ cook year and how two high safeties and he struggled against that. That's what they played against him. That's exactly what they did. And he wasn't able to take those shots, even though he's got that, that receiving core. It, it was, a, it was odd. It was an odd Russell Wilson game, wasn't it? It was, it felt like an early season Russell Wilson game to me that we've, this is the Russ we've seen other than that kind of anomaly last year where they, he started out so fast um, and they look so good right away. This has been the Seattle MO for a while. And to be honest with you, he looked like he was playing a Seattle game, but that's what he knows. So it's logical, right? That that's the way he would play. What was interesting to me is you could definitely tell that this is a new team for him, that he doesn't quite have that chemistry built up with his receivers that he did in Seattle. Understandably. So, I mean, I, I feel I don't feel bad for Russell Wilson with his $250 million, but what I do feel bad about is the expectation that was put on that on him to buy the Broncos fans and media, to be quite honest with you, yeah. of he was going to come in and save the world. You got to give him a minute. You'd have to give any quarterback a minute to settle into that. Well, and that's why I thought ever since I saw it on the schedule that the, the Seahawks had a shot to win this game. I mean, I didn't, I didn't come out and make any bold predictions or, or insist they were going to win it. But I, I think being right out of the gate was the best time to get Russell. And, and I saw a stat yesterday. You may have seen the same one. Uh, teams with quarterbacks who did not play a snap in the preseason went three and eight week one. Like right. you're talking a brand new head coach who's never coached before in the NFL, has very limited play calling experience, actually. And then a, a quarterback new to a system. And then this whole hybrid hierarchy that they had put together where Russell was really outspoken about his input in the offense and playing and calling plays and, and what they're doing on the field. And they didn't do any of that in game situations in the preseason to go out and be sharp. Week one was a lot to ask. And it, and it seemed like that. It seemed like a first year head coach trying to figure stuff out, especially at the end of the game. And we'll get to that in a minute. I thought it was the Seahawks best shot if they came out and played a clean game. And I think, considering how many young guys played yesterday, that's my biggest takeaway other than Geno Smith, which we'll get to, was just for the most part, how clean of a game they played. It really was. Um, we even saw the the rookie tackles. One, There was one, they had one penalty between the yeah. two of them that yeah. hold on Abe Lucas. And it, that was, it was questionable. Yeah, it was. But I will say this. Oh my God. Mm. Cross had to go against Chubb the entire game. And it wasn't until the very end of the game where you could see they were kind of all getting worn down and tired. Understandable. Yeah. Week one, right? And then Chubb kind of got past him. But oh my God, they looked so good. And yeah. they played well. And they 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 weren't the rookie mistakes. Maybe Cross got all of his his penalties out in preseason, which we yeah, can came too. Yeah, but at the same time, it was just, it was so wonderfully done. I will tell you this, to your point about getting this game done early. I put a tweet out last night right after the game, and I said, thank God that game is over because I we can move on now. And that's truly the way I feel about it. I'm so glad they played him week one. We got this done, and we can move on from it, talk about other things after we do our recaps, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, move on and then let it be instead of letting it hang over our heads until week 10 or something 
when they would have to, we'd be constantly talking about this. So the beauty now is that we can watch this team develop without the Russ returning, hanging over their head. And to the same point for the Broncos, they got this done and they can move on and worry about the rest of their division, which is going to be very good this year. I'm glad you brought up Charles Cross. Um, mm-hmm. You know, rewatching the game, I, I, I spent a lot of time uh, watching the TV version and, and looking at the two tackles. And and you're right. And the thing that impressed me the most about Cross, I mean, first of all, Lucas looked like a 10-year veteran. I mean, there were, there were no issues with what he did out there. And, and even the moments that Cross looked like a rookie, as you said, second half against one of the elite pass rushers in the league. And and they left him, I, this shows you how much they trust him, really left him on an island. They weren't helping out. They weren't sticking Will Disley over there next to him. You know, there, there were guys chipping, but for the most part, they left him out there. And Chubb made some adjustments, started widening his splits a little bit and came at him from a different angle. It's only going to make Cross better. I, I think you, you couldn't have asked for a better first game from those two guys. Um, let's talk about our quarterback. This is what, um, well, first of all, the numbers. Geno Smith, 23 out of 28, 195 yards, two touchdowns. If you believe in passer rating, uh, what was his passer rating? His QBR was 69.1. I think his passer rating was like 107 or something. I thought I had it here. I cannot find it right now. Yeah, but it, it was better mm-hmm. than Russell Wilson's, that's for sure. And he was right. uh, 17 out of 18 in the first half, and then it was kind of hang on through the second half. Um, here's what Pete Carroll had to say about Geno Smith after the game. How about Geno? Gino played tonight like he's been playing the whole time we've been practicing. That's what he's been looking like. He didn't look any different than what he's looked like in practice. And so that's why we had the belief in him, and that's why he he was able to, to win the job and, and uh, go after a Monday night football and win, win a football game. So I'm not a, I'm not afraid to admit when I'm wrong. And we talked on our, our first show together about how I was disappointed in the decision to go with Geno Smith, not because I didn't think they could win with Geno Smith, uh, and I've since come to realize that he was the smartest choice to start, especially this game. I just, I just thought it'd be more fun to have Drew Locke out there. I was looking at the season from a different light. That light has changed now. And part of the reason is because Geno Smith looked like a professional quarterback out there. He looked like Alex Smith, right? I mean, this is yeah. exactly what, and, and, and Pete emphasized this. He used the word practice three times. I mean, this is what we've seen in practice. That's how he won the job. So much focus was placed on the preseason games. And yeah, he had a lot of drops and things like that, but his preseason seemed a little mundane overall, but it was what was happening in practice during the week that convinced Pete Carroll and Shane Waldron and all the guys there that he was the right guy. And he sure looked apart. The moment wasn't too big for him. He looked like a pro. He was ready. And I think that, and it was brought up multiple times last night. I think um, Joe Buck brought it up at one point where, you know, he has they would keep saying he's been in the system. He's been around. Mm-hmm. Right. So he knows what the expectations are, but this offense looked different last night. And it oh, looked yeah. like it was, it was completely geared toward Gino's strengths. We didn't see any of the weird Russell Wilson spin outs, which we saw once in, in preseason. I was like, do not do that again. <laughs> but then, and we saw that and the tight end usage, yeah. the Broncos plan seemed pretty clear to me. They were going to absolutely stuff the box and stop the run. They figured Pete Carroll would run that ball all day long. And then they were going to maul um, DK Metcalf to death so that he couldn't be in an F, you know, in any issue. What they forgot is that this is a completely different system. They left those tight ends wide open. How many times? Why? Because Russ never used the tight ends. I don't know if it just didn't occur to him that maybe they would use them now that he's gone. I don't know. But it just looked different. It 
It felt different. And Gino looked so comfortable in it. And I think that that is going to be one of the biggest things that's going to come out of this year. Will they have an explosive offense? Probably not, to be quite honest with you. It's not like, you know, they expect them, Gino, to be up there with all, you know, the like Mahomes and all of those with yeah. their passing and everything. But what they are expecting for him is to run the offense the way they want it to. And, and they then in turn will give him what he needs to succeed. Yeah. All of that. <laughs> I think one of my biggest takeaways last night watching the offense operate was the tight end usage. And, and, and Gino spread the ball around too. DK had his seven catches, but only for 36 yards. Uh, some of those were tough, beastly catches. Um, the tight ends accounted for eight catches. So 30% basically of the completions in that game went to the tight ends. I love the, the formations. I love that they used all three of them at the same time, multiple times. I'd love to see a snap count on that. I love that Colby Parkinson's skill set was finally put to use. I love some of the weird, I don't know what you'd call those formations. I need to talk to an X and O person about <laughs> it with the, with the two, with the tight end and the back in the backfield and two backs. It almost looked like they were going to run a triple option or a wishbone of some kind. Um, a lot of creativity. And you wonder, is that something that they wanted to do last year, but Russell didn't like it? Or is it something that they're doing this year because Russell's not there and they're just trying to be more creative, but it was a lot of fun to watch. And he seemed like he was in command and he seemed he seemed like a guy that was more creative and improvisational than maybe I thought he had in him. I think you're right. But we have to remember, we only saw him in limited time last yeah. year with no, you know, in practice, it's never like he took over the ones from Russ, you know, that didn't happen. And yeah. so he, he just kind of had to step in and fill in. And so now we're getting to see, you know, Geno Smith, after a full offseason, being right there in the mix with everything, I think that that's going to be huge. Um, again, I, I am not saying that Geno Smith is going to be an elite quarterback, but if they get what they need out of him, it's a little bit different than necessarily, you know, he could even exceed that. But even if they just get what they need out of him, yeah. he's he could win them some games. The other guy that he kind of reminded me of as I was watching him is is – Ryan Tannehill, you know, what we saw from him after he left Miami threw a bunch of interceptions in his four years there, went to Tennessee, learned, became a more efficient quarterback uh, and, and was a guy that wouldn't go out really and win you games, but that you could win games with. And I think with this formula now, I want to finish talking about performances last night, but then we're going to take what we learned last night and apply it to the Seahawks schedule and kind of talk yeah. about what, how we think the season might unfold. You talked about defense early on and mm -hmm. um, it was definitely the story of two halves last night. First half looked like there were a lot of issues in coverage. Looked like Russell, they really had a game plan, a lot of misdirection, really taking advantage of, I think what they expected to be a, an aggressive uh, defensive game plan from the Seahawks. And that's they seemed to be finding some holes, picking on the young corners a little bit, but the second half was all about turnovers and the goal line stands as a whole. First of all, your overall impressions, a lot of new players, a lot of young players and a new scheme last night. How'd you feel about how the defense played? I loved every second of it. You know, I love defense and this felt not to be cheesy because I know Pete just did this whole thing about grit. If you watch the YouTube series from the Seahawks, he yeah. did a whole thing about grit. This team felt gritty. It felt like it had an edge to it again, which we haven't seen for a while. 
And that's what I've always loved about Seahawks defenses. But I will tell you this, what was is super impressive to me was the youth of this team. You know, Jamal Adams goes out when, and Pete called that injury serious, which to me, that means bring up the coffin. The kid is dead, right? Like we will not see Jamal Adams again this season. Um, but Michael Jackson just, I mean, that he stood up. Tariq Woolen, he was the highest rated rookie this weekend. Did you read that stat? Yeah. It was just amazing what he did. And and he had no passes, um, just the one quarterback. But then that defendant, when he went back down for that exact same play and he had Judy again and he defended it so well. Oh, my yeah. God. I loved every second of it. I was so impressed. But that line, they caused some serious havoc. And it was so fun to watch. Um, th- this to me felt like a defense that was ready to go after this quarterback. I think there was a little bit of that element to it, but I also just feel like they, Clint Hurt said he was going to make them more aggressive and we don't always know what that means. That could mean 10 different things, right? And sometimes they played a little soft and sometimes they didn't, but they just went after these players. What that meant, because it's week one, is there were some missed tackles and there was a little bit of confusion sometimes, but you could really seek it together. This team in the red zone, oh, no coach could ask for more. Yeah, so much good stuff to talk about. Early on, obviously, there were some, you know, they gave up some big some big yeah. chunks of yardage. Um, and, and I turned to my buddy next to me and, and I just said it. This seems, this feels to me like, young players playing in a new scheme. And this is the exactly. first, first time the bullets are, are flying and, and the, and the Broncos had a plan and it, and I thought it was an effective plan. I, I, I love, I love the fact that once again, cause we didn't see this for a while that, that Pete and that staff are, and we talked about this last week, they're mm-hmm. willing to play the young guys. And I think the best example of that was, you know, Woolen looked like I expected him to look, I tweeted out before the game that my bold prediction was he would, he would give up a touchdown, but he would also have an interception. I wasn't exactly right, but he Close. did. He did give up some plays, but he also made some plays and looked like a pro and looked like a guy who can handle one-on-one press coverage against good receivers. And at that size, that's exciting. And that's what we all saw from him and and got us excited about him as a prospect in the first place. But the trust in him, he gets banged up. I think it was early fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Takes a shot to the chest when he was defending a run play yeah. coming up in mm-hmm. run coverage. Goes out of the game. Sidney Jones comes in. But as soon as Woolen, Sidney Jones is our best corner when he's healthy. And and I think there's a question about how healthy he is. Even though he's active for the game, he, he basically didn't play. He comes in for a couple of snaps. But as soon as Woolen's ready to go back in, he goes back in. Sidney right. Jones comes back out. That's Those are the guys that they were going to roll with. And, and I'm glad you mentioned Jackson because he seemed like, you know, it was kind of quiet. He didn't really... Um, get his name called a lot, but he seemed to be around the ball. He made some great stops in run coverage. Russ didn't seem like he wanted to pick on him too much. He might be the kind of underrated story of the preseason in this first game on defense as a guy that could, he might not give that job back. He might not. And I don't know that Woolen's going to give his job back. Sidney Jones, that play where he just stood there and let that wide receiver run right past him. I was like, what are you doing? He looked so confused, which then did make me question how healthy he really truly was. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, Woolen was that fast, lanky, you know, cornerback that Pete loves. And then you have Jackson on the other side. Both of those 
um, he picked up both those balls and, you know, that on the goal line that were fumbled on the goal line, that was him. Now, granted, Nuosu, which we haven't mentioned yet, mm-hmm. on fire last night. He looked fantastic yeah. and he had looked not great in preseason, let's be honest. So this was just, it was so refreshing. But then you have Jones that came in and he actually looked pretty good too. He didn't do terribly. And it was just, it was exciting because all of us, so many of us in the media and the fans have just said, we want to see this team develop. We don't expect the playoffs. We don't expect, you know, a Super Bowl. We just want to see these young guys develop. And in straight out the gate, you can see their development from the first week of training camp. Well, and that's, that's exciting to me that, that this me team too. has, they have depth. I think there's more depth across the board, offense and defense, but especially in defense than we've had in years. You know, you remember mm-hmm. those, remember those years where they were just trying to patch things together behind Cam and Earl. Oh, yeah before things fell apart and the Tedrick Thompson experiment and Lano Hill and all those guys. And if one of those guys had to go out of the game, if Cam or Earl had to come out of the game, you were scared. Like there was no confidence at all that any of those guys could come off the bench and play well. And it was the same thing at corner, like just razor thin depth at corner over those years. And now you feel like there's five or six guys that could go out there and play. Um, Josh Jones comes in, looks like a vet, made some plays in run coverage and, and looks like someone who maybe has that job over Ryan Neal when Neal's 100% healthy um, with Adams being out. It, to me, that bodes well for the future, and it really saved the game yesterday. When I, mm-hmm. I think when Adams went out, it completely changed their game plan. You could see what they were doing with him. They were doing what we talked about earlier, three safeties. They were moving him around. He was kind of a hybrid. He was he played on the play he got hurt on when he was a quarterback pressure, uh, almost got to Russ. He was basically playing middle linebacker and blitz from that spot. Once he went out, they had to go to more of a kind of a vanilla defensive look with Jones and and Diggs playing too high and they made it work. I, I thought that was exciting. And I'm glad you mentioned Nuosu. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he was PFF's highest graded player for us last night. I think it was 90 something. Um, He had a sack, three quarterback hurries, a quarterback hit all over the place. Looked like they were moving him around a lot. Like we thought Daryl Taylor was going to be our most dynamic defensive player. His name wasn't called last night. Daryl Taylor got bottled up and I, and I'm not smart enough to be able to watch the tape and see if that was something the Broncos were doing scheme wise and focusing on him. But Nuosu, they were moving him around as if he's the guy that they're putting in a position to be the dynamic playmaker on defense. I, I think it's fascinating the way that they used him. And it was so, I just had no expectation from him. I just yeah. never saw anything in preseason and, and I kind of like, oh, you know, he'll be a good filler. I mean, he'll be, you know, run blocker, whatever it is. And he was on fire last night. But can I mention, and I know we're talking about defense, but I want to switch back to offense for one second. Oh, God, it's this made me so happy. DJ Dallas's hit on the second half. Ooh, I can't. Yeah. Oh, my God. If that did not feel like a Legion of Boom hit, I don't know what did. And he's freaking DJ Dallas. He's not supposed to hit people like that. It was amazing. I was so impressed with him. And not just for that hit, but just kind of his consistency throughout the whole game. But honest to God, it was just like, yep, this is it. They're back to where they need to be. And, you know, we're going to talk about later whether or not we think they can, you know, continue it. Today, I don't care if they continue it last night. (laughs) It felt good to see Seahawks football. Yeah, let's enjoy this. Um, And on a short week, we only have to wait five more days for another game. Uh, I like that. Uh, Yeah, that the crowd went nuts. That was a big moment in the second half. You know, the momentum was starting to shift a little bit. The offense was kind of getting bogged down. And and, um, that was a big, big hit uh, from DJ Dallas. And 
if if there are many disappointments from last night, I would have liked to have seen. And I know there wasn't a lot to go around. You're right. The, the Broncos were stacking the box. Penny only had 12 mm-hmm. carries. Um, he had the one long run called back because of the Lucas uh, hold call. Um, but I thought, man, I still liked what I saw from Penny. He, mm-hmm. he ran hard. We saw some of the instincts um, against a, a tough defense that was stacked up to defend him. And he's not going to get talked about a lot coming out of this game because he didn't score any touchdowns. He didn't. All the focus is on Geno. But I thought what we saw last night from Rashad Penny and all the questions about him coming into this year, can he replicate what he did in the last five weeks last year? Can he stay healthy? He, he, didn't, he didn't break any loose. He didn't have that 100-yard game. He wasn't the headliner. But those games, if he stays healthy, those games are going to come because he ran hard last night. Agreed. I loved what I saw from the run game and the way that they used it because it wasn't, it was expected and not expected. And I think once again, I'm just repeating myself, but that's what Denver thought was going to happen. So that's what they were prepared for. They were prepared for the run game. When you have a team that is completely prepared for the run game, it's going to be harder for those guys to break loose and to get there. And once again, this is a very young line. And so I think that those holes will come. I think that he'll get there, but Man, he didn't give up clear to the end. And when that run was called back, he just started laughing because he yeah. knows, you know, that's that's just the way football works. But I think we're going to see good things out of him. I'm so excited for Kenneth Walker to get in the mix, too, yep. and to see how they use him. I think that the run game will be a staple of this team without question. It's Pete Carroll. Um, but now we know what Gino can do, too. It'll be interesting to see what that balance ends up being. Well, and hopefully this puts to bed um, the whole Carol is, is too conservative idea. You know, when he talked all off season about how they want to run the football and that's what they want to base things off of. And and after they traded Russell, I think there was a lot of people that were scared. We were going to see that Seahawk team from the Dallas playoff game in 2019. And, and they were going to run to a fault and they were going to be ultra conservative and, and run on first and second down and throw on third and long. We didn't see that at all. I mean, they adjusted quickly to Denver handling the run game. 28 pass attempts uh, to 13 rushes, I think kind of says it all. And it just lets you know that that this team is going to be adaptable uh, to what's going on in the field and what the defense is giving them. And also, I think it speaks to Shane Waldron's autonomy. It, this this feels like he has control of that offense, and this isn't Pete Carroll like reining him in like he's been accused of doing with other offensive coordinators. I agree. And and why would he? I mean, there's no expectation on them this year, right? Like yeah. they realize that they, you know, much like Shelby Harris said, that everyone had written them off and that this game was all about Russell Wilson and they made it about the Seahawks. But he's right. Everyone has written them off. So there's truly no expectation. So give the kid the reins. See what happens. And it worked beautifully last night. I hope they continue. One other uh one other accolade I want to hand out um, because these guys never get enough, enough credit, but uh, I thought Austin Blythe um, was, was one of the keys last night to the offense. We've had so many issues at center over the last few years and in particular giving up interior pressure because of that. Like we lived through the Ethan, Ethan Posick years and Kyle Fuller playing for him. And even, even uh, when Britt was playing well, that was a weakness of his and, and interior pressure was something that, really uh, was a problem for us. Um, we didn't see any of that last night at all. And we saw this guy uh, getting out um, 20 yards downfield on run plays. The fumble 
that he recovered. It was 20 yards down when Penny gets hit, fumbles the football. Austin Blythe is the guy to recover it because he's down there at the second level. Um, it was a kind of an underrated signing this offseason. There were people that thought we should have made another move for a center. Um, I thought he played great and really stabilized that line. I did too. I think that for pretty much from what I read, people expected him to be fine for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. that he would be fine. And I think that he showed us that he can be more than fine, that he can be a presence there. The entire line, even with God love you, Phil Haynes and your, your couple of penalties, but they did play well. Gino had a good pocket. He had time. And sometimes he had to step up, you know, into the pocket. And sometimes he should have stepped up in the pocket and yeah. didn't. But I just feel like, <laughs> to me, this is petty. Just forgive me for being petty for a minute, but I was hoping that Russell was watching from the sideline going, that's a great line. What was, yeah. <laughs> what was going on? You know what I mean? Because yeah. um, I, you know, that was his complaint for so long when really they did such a beautiful job. I, I was so nervous about this game and all of my fears. I feel like I can go into the rest of the season. I don't care if we only win three or four more games, we've seen what they can do and what they can become. And that to me just feeds my excitement for next year. And and everything's great today, right? Because they won by one point, but imagine, right? If McManus hits that field goal or if, uh, if, if they score on one of those goal line stops, Gordon doesn't fumble the ball. It's a whole different story. And we might be shining a light on some of the negatives, right? But when you win, especially in a, in a game with so many storylines like that, Everything is positive. And, and so far, this episode of this podcast is a lot of rainbows and unicorns. And, but what, it was, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> what, what did you not like from last night? What concerns you? Um, the offense in the second half bothered me. Um, then um, there seemed to be some tired legs. There seemed to be some question about some plays here and there. I think Gino obviously was not quite as accurate um, in the second half. The run game could not get going, and that was a little frustrating to me. Um, I don't – God, I love DK Metcalf, but he's going to end up getting 15 yards. He's running his mouth the way he does, and so I really hope that they – can kind of rein that in. It was a big game and we get it. So we're going to let it go this time, DK, but let's calm down a little bit. Um, I think that they have to be able to scheme to get him open a little better because that's how it's going to be every game for him. They're they're going to be double teaming him regularly. Now, granted, he was across from Sutton. That he Sutton does is a great player, but yeah. still, you have to you have to work with that. Um, on the defense, really, their tackling was not great in the first half, and they really needed to work on um, kind of wrapping up. I don't know if that's a beginning of the season thing. I don't know if that was an excitement thing or what that was, um, but hopefully they can get that fixed. So there was definitely some issues with it. Um, It was not a perfect game and they only won by one point, but I will tell you, had they hit that field goal at the end, I think I'd still be as excited about this team as I am, even though they won it just simply because of what we saw on the field. But that's from an analysis point of view, not necessarily a fan view. Yeah, it's really, for me, it's hard to take any negatives away from this game. Excuse me, this is my day after a home game voice. Um, Which, by the way, there were times yesterday, uh, I will admit, I had to hold back because I knew I had to do a show today. And so I couldn't couldn't scream like I used to at the the stadium. Um, It's hard to take any negatives away for me just because of the context, right? And you and I are on the same page on this. There were times last night during the game where I, I thought to myself, 
you know, games aren't do or die for me anymore. Like they were when I was younger, like life's, right. life's going to go on. And I, and I felt like I was watching part of a process. Like that's, it wasn't just about this game and it wasn't about beating the Broncos, no matter what it was like, we're in a process right now. Let's see how this one goes. Right. And then we'll take it away and we'll see what happens next week. But that being said, um, some minor disappointments, I think over the course of the season, um, I think I'd like to see us take some more deep shots. You know, let's not make DK Metcalf into a possession receiver. Um, let's, let's take some of those shots, even if they're not there. There, there was one play uh, late in the game. Uh, it was a third down toss. I think it was the one to, um, to lock it. Um, but Gino had, from my vantage point, had Marquise Goodwin, Goodwin wide open on a post for a, for a long touchdown with no safety help at all. Um, some of those things, I think, as the season progresses, I'd like to see take some of those shots. Um, the other thing is, I, man, I've been Jordan Brooks's biggest supporter and, and, and supporter of the team taking that player at that spot in that draft. Um, he really struggled in pass coverage at times yesterday, and, and I know that's kind of been the knock on him. Um, there are people who think he can do that well, that his first three years in college, he was asked to do that more, and he did it really well. Um, he's going to need to tighten that up. I thought Cody Barton might have been our best inside linebacker yesterday. And oh my not, God, where did not Barton Jordan come Brooks. from? Yeah, played hard, just really oh. took on blockers, had the sack. Um, uh, I think a lot of people are willing to write him off as, as a guy that we need to upgrade. I thought he played really well last night. And then the other guy, and <laughs> I know he's your favorite. I, I don't understand why D. Eskridge is on the roster. Um, he was supposedly healthy. John Schneider talked in the pregame show about how explosive he was. He's excited to see what he can do because he's healthy now and he's their most explosive player in, in practice, yada, yada. He had one snap. Well, he had the, he had, they threw to him once. I think he was in one other time where they kind of faked a jet sweep to him. He had two snaps in the whole game. Marquise Goodwin was clearly the number three receiver in this offense with 28 snaps, I believe. I'm, I don't know what they're doing with Eskridge. You know what they need to do? They need to trade him for draft picks. But you know what else they need to do? And God help me for saying this out loud. Please don't strike me with lightning. Anyone, Twitter, layback. I think they need to go have a conversation with Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> I know it makes everyone a little nauseous, but here's the deal. From what I saw last night, Marquise Goodwin was good. But if this is what we're going to see from teams where they basically try and shut down DK and then Tyler does what Tyler does well, but you can't expect him to be the only guy all game. They have to get a strong third receiver. And I don't know that that's on the roster right now. You know, it'll be interesting. We, it's well known that when OBJ was a free agent last year before he signed with the Rams, that, that the Seahawks went hard after him. In fact, I think, right. I think he admitted that we offered him more money than the Rams did. He just saw the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. Um, supposedly he's healthy now. He's out there. Anyone can have him. He probably wouldn't be that expensive. It'll be interesting to see. You know, what we had talked about last week came to fruition in that, you know, for all of the concern about the back end of that wide receiver group, you know, the tight ends are the focal point of this offense, the tight ends and DK Metcalf. And, and, and that certainly was seen last night, but you know, the more weapons, the better. And, uh, a guy like OBJ would certainly be interesting at this point in yeah. his career. And I think that's why they're not so concerned about the wide receiver group is because they plan on using those tight ends. And that's great. And even Noah Fant didn't look bad. I mean, people nope. were worried about Noah Fant. I thought he looked pretty good in the game too. So that's, I think we're going to have to wait and let this shake out for a few games. As I always, we always say over on one of the other podcasts that I do that um, it's all shiny on paper. 
Yeah. But you don't know who a team is until the fourth or sixth game. Mm-hmm. That's when you really know who a team is. And so they're going to let this shake out for a while. But if last night was any indication, they've got to be happy with what they have in front of them. So speaking of who a team is, what's your take on what happened at the end of that game? How Nathaniel Hackett approached the end of that game and managed the end of that last drive and the decision he made at the end to go for the field goal? It is completely illogical football-wise what happened. And you can watch Peyton Manning losing his mind that they didn't call a timeout. They wasted 30 seconds. I think the probability of that field goal was 6%, but Russ is like 60% on fourth and five and less. I, I I don't know. I don't know if they just assumed that he could make, who assumes someone can make a 64 yard field goal? Like it's illogical to me. And Hackett in his press conference was livid, but you could tell he was real mad at himself. I don't know if he got talked into it. I don't know what happened, but he was, his voice was shaking. You could tell how upset he was and he put it all on him. So that's interesting decision-making. Is that a first year head coach mistake? Maybe, but that's more than poor clock management. I still, this is why I like, when I go to the games, I like to record them and come home and watch the TV copy. Because mm-hmm. in the stadium, we're all just assuming, okay, fourth and five, here's the ball game. We get, we get a fourth down stop, we win the game. There's no way you're not going to let your $265 million quarterback mm-hmm. that you just mortgaged the farm for and hitched your wagon to for the next five years, who's built a, a reputation and a career on those moments, you're not going to let him not take that chance. And Brandon McManus has, has hit some long field goals in his career, but he's missed most. I saw a stat of all the misses from over 56 yards that he's had. It's just the odds of it. I think I think I saw an analytics site that that said there was an 11%, even as good as he is and as strong as his mm-hmm. leg is, there was an 11% chance of him making that field goal. We're talking about marine air here, right? This isn't Denver. It's But when I... In the stadium, it felt like they were disorganized. They were going to go for it, but then, you know, things got away from them and they couldn't get set. And so they called the timeout and then Hackett made the decision. But watching on TV, especially watching that Manning cast clip, it was the plan from the beginning that as soon as the, the ball went dead, that or, or once they called the timeout with 20 seconds left, the way Russell walked off the field was like, okay, that's exactly what we were planning on right. doing. We we're going to run the clock down take a shot at the field goal that, that that was the plan ahead of time. And then Russ said afterwards that he knew he had to get to the 46, I think to make it or whatever the yard line was that, that, you know, I, it just, it's, it's ludicrous to me. And it just speaks to a young coach in the moment. I, I don't have a better word for it. He choked. He totally I, choked. I can't believe that, that if he had it to do over again, that he would do it that way. And I also can't believe no matter what he said after the game, I cannot believe that Russell Wilson's happy about that. Oh, God, no. It was almost like they were running the clock down to like three seconds. Like there was only going to be three seconds left in the game. So even if they had made it, they would have left a little time on the clock for Gino, who doesn't, you know, that's not his special thing. He's right. not like oh yeah, 15 seconds with Russ. We might think that, yeah, he could probably throw it down the field, but, but it doesn't matter. It just was, it was illogical. And I, so I don't know, I don't know where the miscommunication was, but there was definitely a miscommunication and, and I 
I completely watching it. I'm like, Russ would have gotten that five. The way the defense was playing, Russ would have gotten that five yards. It would have happened. And it's like, and then give your kicker a better shot or God, go for a touchdown, whatever you got to do. But it was just illogical. And, and what was sad to me is that there was a lot of blame from Broncos players and the Broncos fan base putting the blame on the kicker. That is not his job. His job, it, it, his job is to kick, but 64 yards is just almost too much to ask of anyone. So I think that um, that's too bad that he's getting some of that backlash for it. But this is what it comes down to. The 12s made a huge impact last night. And I don't know if that had something to do with it. People can be pissy all they want that they booed him. The logical answer to that is, of course, we will cheer when you put him in the ring of honor because Russell Wilson is going in the ring of honor, people. He's going to be there. And then you cheer all you want. But he was in a different uniform and the booing and bought Chris Long. If you've ever watched on Twitter, Chris Long's refrigerator talk, go watch it. It's hilarious. Oh, no. He called he called the 12 stone cold killers is what he called. Them. It was <laughs> hilarious. But I think there was an impact there. But I don't think that was the only reason for the false starts, for the delay of games. I just think that they're just not quite settled in that offense yet. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the reaction thing. Um, I wanted to touch on that. I was shocked. I, I was shocked at the ratio of it. I knew there'd be some booze. Um, it was 80% booze mm-hmm. it, in that stadium. It was, it was overwhelmingly booze and it was, man, it was loud. Um, I, a little disappointed at that. I mean, my, my approach, to that whole thing, I didn't boo or cheer. I didn't, I didn't make a peep. I just kind of watched it unfold. Like, you know, the sure. time to cheer Russell again someday will, will happen down the road. It's, it's, I get it. It's the scorn lover syndrome, right? Like he didn't want to be here. F him. Uh, we're going to let him know how we feel about it. It's, it was, um, I won't say I was disappointed because people are going to be, be how they are and fans are going to fan, but I was shocked by it. And then I, I have a different ahead. take on it. If you don't mind. Yeah. I, I don't know that it, I mean, for some people it's going to be scorn lover, but for me, it was exactly what Pete Carroll said. And he got burned for this, but it's logical to me. This is a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. You have to get in his head. And we all know Russell, Mm -hmm. you know, he's usually ice cold and, you know, nothing bothers him, but we've seen a few things that bother him. And that is one of them. He, Russell, we all know this. This will be no shock to anyone. He loves to be adored. We get that. So having that pressure just gives you a competitive advantage. Would you have been surprised if Tom Brady had come onto the field and got booed when they ran onto the field? No, I don't think anyone would be surprised at that. Is that the same thing? Yes. Was there more of an edge to it? Yes, definitely. But I just feel like the 12s truly take their job seriously in that stadium. And you see it at Arrowhead, you see it at a couple other, you know, venues across the league and that they were help. They were doing what they could to help Seattle win. You might be onto something. Mookie and I talked about it at the end of last week, um, what we thought the atmosphere was going to be like. And, you know, as someone who's been a season ticket holder for decades, I've, you know, some fans would take umbrage with this, right? Would be offended by mm-hmm. the, the the notion of this, but that stadium hasn't been the same for the last five or six years. You can see oh, it. For sure. You can see it in the record, but it's just it hasn't the the sophistication there that you speak of, and maybe uh, what the motivation was to boo him hasn't been there. And, and what I mean is, when that stadium was at its best, and that home field advantage was making an impact on the field, 
you know, I, the best example ever of that is 2005, the NFC Championship game, their first time playing in that game. And Jake DeLome, I call it the Jake DeLome effect. He literally could not call the play in the huddle. It was that loud from, from kickoff to whistle. Um, that had gone away. And you can blame it on people moving here from out of town and all the tech jobs and corporate tickets and things like that. Or just getting jaded you know, being spoiled by winning all the time and, and expectations changing, but it was different last night and it felt more like seven or eight years ago and, and the fans knew it and they started cheering when the Broncos were in the huddle and they didn't let up until the end of the play. That's different. That's has not been the norm the last few years. And if they can keep that up, then that home field advantage might be back, especially when you kind of look ahead, um, to the schedule. Do you want to do that? Do you want, to, do you want to play some schedule watching? Because doesn't it, first of all, just generally, don't you feel, or, or do you, do you feel differently now about the next 16 games than you did before the results of this game? No. <laughs> yes. And no, I well, here's why um, we did. I did a prediction show and we did every single game and, and I had them winning this game. I, I thought that if anyone is going to beat Russell Wilson, especially a week one game, and it's going to be Seattle. And and so I expected them to win this game. I still expected them to win just five to seven games. Okay. But what I did say, and this is what I believe, is that there's going to be a lot of these type of games, these super close field goal, goal games that Seattle is going to teeter on. They're going to be, okay, do they have enough to push it to the win column are they not going to have quite enough, to, you know, to do that? And last night gave me a little bit of hope that they might tweak some of those closer games, that they might be able to roll over the top of some of those closer games. Um, do I want them to do that? I don't know, because I still really want a high draft pick. But last night gave me a lot more faith that in those close games, they actually would be able to get up over the top of it. And that's really exciting. Yeah, and we'll know a lot in six days, right? Because mm -hmm. so much of what we saw last night might've been the, the off field storyline. Like they've had the entire off season to focus on this game, to get ready for this game. Russell Wilson coming to town, Monday night football, the whole spotlight, everything. Now they got to turn around in a short week and go play a ticked off 49ers team that lost their first game on the road <laughs> and they're own one. And we haven't even mentioned by the way, that the Seattle Seahawks are in first place in the NFC West all by themselves at one and oh, all three other teams lost and all three other teams looked bad. Uh, you know, you can make the argument right now, as we see it here today, the Seahawks might be the best team in the NFC West. Certainly we think that's going to change, but the 49ers they're, they're hard to gauge because the conditions of that game, it was just pouring rain. That surface at soldier field needs to be outlawed. It, it, they, they shouldn't allow an NFL game to be played on a surface like that. Trey Lance didn't look good, but again, how much of that was the conditions they're going to be coming home. It's their home opener. Um, you would wonder, here's the thing. I like that we're playing the 49ers in week two, because if, if you flip flop the schedule, we get the Atlanta Falcons at home in week three, that might be prime for a letdown game where you're coming off the emotion of beating the Broncos. And then you turn around, and you play a team that you'd be expected to beat. I'm not so sure about that, but maybe the Niners will bring out uh, the best in them or, or might be the ideal um, matchup for week two, but gosh, you look ahead. Let's look at these first six games. Uh, 49ers, 
Then Falcons at home at Lions. You know, they started off great Sunday, but then looked like the Lions after that. Jared Goff looked like Jared Goff. At New Orleans, they looked pretty good. Arizona at home. Arizona looked terrible. Uh, and then you get into Chargers and, and at Arizona, but you have the Giants sandwiched in there. It's not inconceivable that they could have a winning record now going into the bye, or am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. I I mean, you I make hate the point. to get too excited about, you know, one game. Sure. But like you, I love that they're playing San Francisco next week because there's yeah. not a team on the planet Pete Carroll loves to beat more than the San Francisco 49ers, right? Like right. He, it's, it's what they own. They, they, for some, this, it's rock, paper, scissors in the NFC West. You know, the Seahawks beat the Niners, the Niners beat the Rams, and the Rams beat the Seahawks. It's just the way it works, yeah. right? <laughs> and so I think that that's going to be, um, it's a good continuation. I think you're absolutely right about that. The rest of those games, there's going to be a letdown eventually. Do I think it'll be against the Falcons? No. Could it be against the Lions? Absolutely. To be honest with you, I think that team is way better than people are giving them credit for. Yeah. Um, I don't think that they're going to win their division, but they're going to be markedly better than last year. Yeah. Um, but the I don't know how the Giants won last week. So this week, I don't <laughs> even know how that happened. But so I think that, yeah, there's going to be some, some good games. There's going to be... Um, I don't think that there's going to be a blowout loss, but I, we're going to get a letdown at some point. There has to be a breath taken. Um, and unfortunately, it's probably going to come against one of those teams that we're supposed to be. Yeah, and I, that's, you know, they're young. I mean, it's all going to For come sure. back to that. And, and there's going to be games where that shows. And there's going to be games where Geno Smith's limitations come out or he has a bad game or, you know, a team stacks up against the run and, and you know, and shuts us down. It's... To me, though, it all comes back to the process. And this is what is going to be so fascinating about the rest of the season for me is like, okay, took care of that one. Now we don't have to talk about Russ anymore. Now we can put that in the rearview mirror. Let's Absolutely. now they got to turn around a short week and go on the road and play the 49ers, who a lot of people think are a playoff team. Let's see how they respond. Let's see what happens. And then you come home and you get, okay, Atlanta at home, a team that most people think we should beat. Their defense is terrible. They're playing a journeyman at quarterback. That's a game we should win. How are they going to handle that? Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, it's part of the fun for me. It is. And I, I really am encouraging fans to look at it that way. Look at how does this team respond? How do they play? Are they building on what they have? Because that is what's important this year. And I don't want to downplay it. I mean, there are people online being like, you know what, maybe this team is a playoff team and we just didn't know it. Heck, I think, um, you know, the commentators last night, I can't remember if it was after the game or before the game, said, this is not what we thought we were getting out of Seattle. Well, we're not going to know if that's what we're getting for a few games. And so you're right. The response and how they build on what they have. Do they figure out the tweaks that they need to make? Do they tackle better? Do they do this, that, and the yeah. other? We, we could know a lot about this team by week four, just be, by the teams that they are playing. I mean, you're the one who said it on this show that you think <laughs> this team's going to get better as it goes along in the second Me half. Too. They're going to be a pretty good team. And and you pair that with the fact that most, most people saw this team going one and four, maybe to start with, one and five. You know, if you get off to a three and two start, even right, you beat the you beat the Falcons and and maybe the Lions, or it's it does change things. If if look if if Geno Smith plays like Alex Smith, this team has a chance to be competitive in just about every game they play this year. And and you never know what's going to happen because the NFC West might be down. There are question marks about every single team in this division now, and I don't know that we would have thought that a week and a half ago. I don't, I will never, 
I am not faulting the Rams in any way, shape or form to losing to the Bills because the Bills, in my opinion, are going to the Super Bowl and probably winning the Super Bowl this year unless they get decimated by injuries. That team is so well built. So I hate to fault the Rams too much for losing to the Bills who are trying to prove a point. So I I don't want to do that. And God love Von Miller. But Mm. then but the Niners did not show up. Arizona is exactly who a lot of us thought they were going to be. Will that change when Hopkins comes back? Possibly. I don't know. Um, But they also played the Chiefs. So we have to give them some credit there. So I don't know. I don't want to put a fork in the NFC West quite yet. But I do think it is very possible in my mind now that the Seahawks are not in fourth place in this division, that they could easily be in third or more, depending on what happens with San Francisco. Before we wrap this up, let's uh, let's talk about some some bummer news. Um, Jamal Adams, you mentioned it earlier. It sounds like we haven't gotten an official word yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like a torn peck, um, or not a torn peck, a torn quad. quad which mm-hmm. you know, there were some people in the stadium last night that were thinking it was ACL. Um, when you looked at the play, it's hard to pinpoint exactly when he got hurt, but when he got up, you could see the instability in that left leg. And and in that way, it looked like ACL, but he didn't even grab at the leg before he got up. So I almost wonder if the injury happened while he was getting up off the ground. I don't know, but a torn mm-hmm. quad would have a six to eight month. He'd be out for the year. Yeah. It would be the third straight year that he's played a handful of games that he hasn't been durable, that he's been out for the season pretty. And all those injuries have happened early um, last year and this year. There were already people in the stand saying, you know, and, I, and I've seen it online today. What a what a terrible trade. What a waste. Cut him, release him. He's away. What's your, just your general feelings about Jamal Adams once again having to miss a season? When they picked up Jamal Adams, I was ecstatic. He is the type of player that I love. He's explosive. You never know where he's coming from. He's super talented. Um, I don't think, and I, I kind of preached this from the mountaintops, you cannot judge this trade on his injuries because you don't know about injuries when you make the trade, they were trading for the all pro player. And so that to me, and people can be pissy about the trade all they want to that that you cannot, you know, you cannot see the future. Um, It breaks my heart for Jamal Adams because you know, this is, he is out there for blood. He wants to make his statement. And so this kills me. That injury is pretty severe. And so with his hand and now this, does he continue to play? I think he'll try to, should he? No, probably not. Um, And so I don't know what Seattle will do with him next year, especially, and I'm pretty sure he'll be out for the season. I think there's like a 99% chance of that. And so I don't know what Seattle will do with him next year, but it just kills me because I know the type of player he can be. And you can't fault the player for injuries. They just happen, especially one like a torn quad. That's weird. That's a real weird injury. Yeah. And again, it just looked fluky in the way it happened. Yep. It, it uh, even tried running off the field at one point and then the leg just buckled on him. It, it, um, it, it is a shame. And I think people forget about the player and they forget about the human being when things like that happen. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to prove his worth more than Jamal Adams. The, the competitiveness Absolutely. of that guy is one of the reasons they went out and acquired him. It's one of the things that has made him a great player. He, he wants to, he hears the doubters and the naysayers that say we wasted two first round draft picks. We should have never made the trade. And, and I'm with you. You can never really look at those things in, in full hindsight. It, and also, you know, people like to take one side or the other and make things black and white. I didn't like the process. 
right? I didn't think the Seahawks were one player away from being a Super Bowl contender, which is where you'd hope a roster would be if you're going to trade two first-round first draft picks to go get a guy like the Broncos just did to get Russell Wilson. They thought they were a quarterback away from being a contender. Were we a, a box safety away from being a Super Bowl contender? No. So I didn't like that. But I still got excited about the player. Mm -hmm. He's on our roster, and I like him. And there was no question about his ability. Um, it's a shame. I Look, I they've proven they can play be effective without him. In some ways, it allows them to play a little bit of a different style now and be a little more conservative on the back end, which tends to be Pete Carroll's history. We've got that depth we talked about. Josh Jones and Ryan Neal have both proven they can play in the box or big enough to play in the box and and can be effective in coverage. And, and we still have Quandre Diggs back there. And he looked, by the way, we haven't even mentioned him. He, he had the interception in the end zone he dropped. But for a guy who had an injury at the end of last year that looked gruesome at the time, he looked 100% healthy, running around, flying around, hitting people. That was fun to watch. I, I think they can absorb this loss, and and we might not even notice it much on the field. And then as the eternal optimist, I look at it this way. Because I checked his contract. Can't really get out of it in 2023. You're stuck with it. 2024, you can. I think it's like a $11 million dead money, um, or it's $11 million cap savings without as much dead money. But if they were to cut him in 2023, it's like $24 million dead money. Right. Um. So you're not, he's gonna, not going anywhere for no, a couple of years. For no, sure. You're not going to do that. But because it happened in the first game, it's a six to eight month recovery. Now he gets a chance to heal everything. Cause he was playing with right. the broken hand still. He had those two fingers fused and then he broke it again, hitting it on someone's helmet in the first practice of the training camp, I think, or first or second practice. Now he can go and he's still just coming off shoulder surgery this last off season too. He can go heal all of it. Come back in 2023 with a team that should be much more close, much more close, much closer to being a contender <laughs> um, and and be a factor next year and be 100% healthy. It's, it's just a shame that we had to see it so early on. Uh, overall, though, I don't know that we suffered any other serious injuries. Cody Barton was shaken up, but he came in at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. Wollen was shaken up, came back in. Mm-hmm. Um, am I missing anything? I don't think we don't had any think other. So. Nothing serious anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, that's good news for to get right. out of an opener with only one major injury is, is probably a good thing in this league. Yeah. Especially when those starters never played in the preseason. So, you know, it's, you expect more of those pins to drop and they, they just didn't. And so I, I think this team is ready. I think that they, they got what they wanted last night. They showed the world what they can do. We just now need to see the consistency. It's going to be an exciting year. Well, it is. And it should be an exciting week two at San Francisco against the 49ers and Trey Lance. We'll see. We'll see what he's all about. Uh, Dana, thanks for joining me. And Absolutely. Uh, thanks for uh, pulling an all-nighter. And hopefully you'll get some rest today. <laughs> what do you got coming up uh, on the show in a, in a couple days later this week? So my um, Phil Goals podcast, I'm really excited. I am bringing in fan favorite Josh Cashman, better known as Cable Thanos, yes. is going to join me. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about his history and how his videos blew up. We're also going to talk about the fact that he worked for Russell Wilson for a little while. So we're going to have a little conversation about that. And then he's got some great insights about this team. So it should be a fun show.
Looking forward to that. Also later this week, uh, Rob Guerrera, who hosts the Niners Nation podcast, will be uh, joining me to preview the game and give kind of the the angle on on how Niners Nation is feeling about what happened in Chicago and what they saw from the Seahawks on Monday night and what they expect um, at Levi Stadium in week two. Uh, that's going to do it for us. I'm Dan Viennes. That's Dana O'Gorman. Dana OG on, on uh, Twitter. You can find me at Seahawks Forever. And uh, subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you use so you get notification of new episodes. And you'll hear from Dana in just a couple of days. We'll talk to you soon.